Romans 14. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. If one man's faith allows him to eat anything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables, the man who eats everything must not look down on the man who does not. The man who does not eat anything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more, uh, more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to his own self alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason Christ died return to life, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another and instead make up your mind not to put, not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean and by itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then to him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Just going to stop there, pause there. We'll come back to some of these other verses. But, you know, we, we, we started with uh, Jesus we then move into what Paul's life and Jesus demonstrates one set of life. Paul has this mega encounter and he leaves a, a, a very simple life that yet is clear that he walks in authority, isn't he? There's a liberty that Jesus walked in and an authority he walked in. There was a liberty that Paul walked in and yet there was authority. Yet they said of the Son of Man, you know, he's got a demon because he drinks and eats and sleeps around people who are sinners. It's like, so he's got to be a sinner. Well, Paul, they were challenging him about the very way he operated, the very way that uh, he was uh, thinking and operating. 
And he, he had the, the, these same challenges that I think sometimes we face. You know, as people, they want to make all kinds of judgments about us. But Paul understood the, the authority by which he spoke. He understood, we, we read this right at the start of Romans, Paul, an apostle. He's a servant and an apostle. He doesn't see those two as some kind of contradiction, doesn't see it as boasting. He understands that uh, he has this dual thing operating in his life. But he sees that that dual thing continually operates through his life. So when it comes to people, when it comes to handling situations, when it comes to, uh, to people's conscience, he's not allowing either of the extremes of religiosity to actually rule his life. He's neither letting the Judaic way of being affect him, nor just a free-for-all. He holds these two in balance, just like he holds servant and apostle. Apostle, one of the highest, servant, one of the lowest. Being a Jew and yet operating in a Gentile world, it, it, you know, for him it wasn't some clash. And here he comes and he says, accept, accept whom whose faith is weak without passing judgment. You know, one of the first things we need to understand is Paul's not talking about people whose um, their will is weak or their character is weak. Okay? He's not talking about people who just who can't cope with temptations. He's talking about people who, who, who the, the, the grace, their, their, uh, their, their life, their understanding of God has not grown sufficiently for them un- to, to know how to make right decisions. He's not talking about people who are just pulled away, left, right, and center, but they haven't yet learned. They're babes in Christ, is what he's talking about. He, he, they're, they're, you know, sometimes I think we think, you know, someone who's, they're, they're, we look down on people because they're, they, they're not yet sure what they're supposed to believe. Particularly those who have come out of other religions. You know, there's kind of four groups of people that uh, you kind of could take this that Paul's referring to. The first, you know, is ex-idolaters. You know, Paul's talking about food. He's talking about food being offered to idols. You might want to talk about uh, Muslims or, or other people nowadays, uh, sort of kind of coming out of one set of circumstances, coming out of one set of religious rules, haven't yet, they've accepted Christ, they believe in him, but they don't yet know all the fullness of what it means to be in Christ and how to understand the difference between this religious praying five times a day and the need to pray. Let's just take it into current day situation. Because what you end up doing, if you're not careful, is you lay on the Muslim another set of laws about prayer. As opposed to a life of talking to the Lord. So when we talk about idolaters, we're talking about people whose religious practices was tied up with food. 
That was one of the biggest ways. So people would do an offering of food for the Lord of the harvest and and the sun and the moon and all the rest of it. Food and offering up food was normal religious practice. So for us, it's a little bit different, isn't it? We, we, you know, we, 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 we're not talking about uh, that kind of concept now. But we talk about prayer. We, you know, we, we need to pray. It's important to pray. We've got to, we've got to pray. You've got to read the word. And that same legalistic spirit is the very things that the Muslims are going, thank God we got out of this. We understand Christ is the Lord. And we understand this liberty that my God is my Father who operates in my life. Wow. They've left Islam, they've come under Christ, they've come into the reality, and another bunch of laws comes around them. And it's, so they're trying to work through, what does it mean? You see, it's not about, are they good people? Have they got good moral character? Most Muslims have a kind of moral character. They might have a wrongly driven moral character, but, and there's terrorists and all the rest of it, but the general person, okay? The religious person, as opposed to the, out, the outrageous person. So, or the next bunch of people that Paul kind of talks about in this, that the, the, the Romans uh, were used to, were the aesthetics. These were a bunch of people whose lifestyle, their religion and lifestyle was linked by abstinence. They abstained from certain things because that was a godly lifestyle. To be godly, to be religious meant you fasted ridiculous amounts of time. You didn't eat meat. Uh, Sounds like the Buddhists. It's funny how these kind of things come round and round again. So, wouldn't hurt a fly, wouldn't, you know, conscientious objectors to uh, violence, to... There's not that it's anything wrong, but when that becomes the focus of your life, control, you know... You know, I mean, one of the things about um, the, the Buddhists is meditation. And so, what actually happens is they get into these trances... How's that different from God giving you as a vision? <laughs> the, it, it, the difference is you empty yourself, you open your mind up to anything, <laughs> as opposed to meditating on the word that fills your mind with the right stuff. So as we understand the, these things, how, how Paul is speaking, we can see even in our modern world how those parallels are still operating. Of course, then there was the, uh, the Jewish Christians. Uh, and, you know, it's one of the, uh, uh, sorry, I want to talk about the legalists. Part of their uh, other religions was, again, having to do the right things. Um, that's three. Three is the legalists. You've got the ex-idolaters, you've got the aesthetics, and then you've got the legalists. Good works got you saved. That was the normal religion of the day. So you did all the right things, you did penances, you did stuff, and that got you saved. And then the fourth one is the Jewish Christians, whose continuing devotion to the Jewish customs was such, it was almost a badge of honor. 
The Maccabean rebellion was actually almost a, a re-establishing, hang on a minute, we're proud of our religion and we're proud of our heritage. And so the two things that really stood out in, in the Maccabean um, rebellion was dietary things, only eating the right kinds of foods, and the observance of the Sabbath. They were kind of like, above everything else, those were the two. And to this day, that is still one of the biggest things among the Jews. It's still their badge of honor, isn't it? That we eat the right food and we observe the Sabbath. And yet, Paul was saying, it's not about eating, drinking, doing the right things, Sabbaths, not Sabbaths. What he's actually talking about is, is what is our attitude to people? So what if they come out of those backgrounds? Are you the kind of Christian who lives your life, who disciples others in a way that actually goes, I know who you are, and because I know who you are, I'm going to do everything I can to lift you up and build you up, despite what it might mean to me. Because that's the way of love. Love prefers others. This is what Paul's talking about, these things. You know, we can get confused if we're not careful. Can we just eat anything? Of course you can eat anything. Is it helpful? Not always. Who's it not helpful to? It's not that it's not helpful to me, but what am I doing for the people who are around me, who are watching my life, who they are growing in grace. They have not learnt the difference between mercy and grace. They, are, they entered into mercy, but they didn't understand. It's not just that God wants to forgive me, but God wants to empower me, which is what grace is. And we have to lead people from always needing forgiveness into walking free. That's the call of God in our lives, isn't it? This is what Paul said right at the start. I have been given an apostolic grace. Romans 1. Verse 1, verse 3, sorry. I've been given this grace to call people into obedience. Not do what I tell you right now, but to a drawing of people after himself in such a way they think this is worth doing. When you show someone the benefits of liberty, they, they enter into it quite quickly. When you tell them to what to do, they pull back from it. And you see, this is what he says. It's, 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 it's not about uh, who's weak, who's strong. You see, I might be strong in my faith and my confession and my declaration. But you see, this, this, is, the, this is the issue that many of the, uh, the faith Christians have that the rest of the Christianity is like, we don't get it. You seem to be so fixed on prosperity. 
instead of showing, demonstrating without putting it in their faces that we can live free and that God meets bills, does healing and stuff like that, we end up, like me, preaching at people <laughs> over meals. It's like, what do you mean? And, and I have to pull back. Claire helps remind me, she gives me this nudge, quieten down, give them room. Because <laughs> I, I end up try, trying to convince them too quickly instead of actually drawing them up in faith. I kind of, I've got this five minutes to talk to them, and I've got to get as much of the word in them as I can. Instead of speaking the, just those words that God gives and leaving it up to God to bring the rest back in. It comes to salvation as well, doesn't it? We're going to get people saved. Boom! But part of being, getting someone saved is moving them from stage one to stage two. Not just from stage nine to ten, fully saved. You're getting them saved by moving them a step closer to the Lord. It's having faith in the Lord, not ourselves. It's having the love that Christ has got for people. He loves us when we were so utterly, completely despicable. Isn't that cool? And what, that's what, you see, that's why we always have to come back to this relationship we have with Christ. You see, it, it's, it's not really about the food. It's about acceptance. Is this my brother or is it someone I need to disciple into the truth? <laughs> if this is my brother, patience should be part of that process. Brotherly kindness is part of that process. So first of all, he goes, accept. Accept. There's no attempt to conceal or disguise, this is my brother, period. Whether he's right or not, the first thing is brother. The second thing is what he's doing or not doing. But if the first is never grabbed hold of, your focus is always on the second. If you see the first brother, you won't judge. If you see this person belongs to the Lord, you won't judge. You won't condemn. You won't force your ways. But you see, we know that God's promise for you and for me is he who began a good work in me is going to bring it to completion. So when we look at one another and we start to see, yeah, God started a work in you, therefore I can trust him to finish it, not me to finish it. <laughs> you know, we end up like this, like, yeah, I don't have to get you there. God's going to get you there. It takes the pressure off of them and allows God to do the work. And so it, it really comes back to, is it about meat? Is it about drink? Or is it the heart? You see, it's what it, but what does it say? It says in, in verse 2, it says, uh, because... One man's faith allows him to take anything, but another man whose faith is weak 
The man who eats anything must not look down on the one who does not. The man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For, and this is what we need to underline in our Bibles, for God has accepted him. So the first reason for us not to do it, speak anything of judgment, is one, God's accepted him. We've got four reasons that I'm going to draw out. But here's the first one. One reason for not trying to force where I'm at on anybody else, whether it's for food or against food or for Sabbath days or against Sabbath days, is because God has accepted him. The second... Second is in... in, uh, in verse, verse 9. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to, from, to, returned to life that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Christ died to become Lord. That's the second reason of you and me. The second reason is Christ died to become the boss, the master. He died and rose again so that there's only one person whose judgment matters. He rose again from the dead to stop every other judgment. The devil's got no say in you and I's lives. You and my life. You and I's lives. We in English there. He has got no judgment. He's got nothing to speak about you and me. And nor do we about one another. Only one person's voice matters about the standards of our lives. And that's the Lord. That brings liberty into our considerations of one another. You see, if he's, he's, this is what it says, don't judge someone else's servants. You, see, you know, this is, you could almost say that, there's a, that it becomes a guide in this. It, you know, it really in what we're doing. The first thing we're, we're able to consider really is, can I thank God for what I've got? And then the second one is, and can I offer this back to him? Because if I can't, if I can't thank God for what I've got, well, it ain't from him then, is it? And so I shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> and if I can't offer it back to him because it's not acceptable to him, well, then it probably wasn't from him in the first place. <laughs> so there's kind of there's sort of two ways of balancing it. So... First of all, we see that we're not going to judge people because God's accepted them, God's welcomed them, and second, because Christ rose to be the Lord of them and us and be the only decider. But then third, what it says in verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother? Brother. Again, it comes back to, not only are we servants owned by someone, but we're now brothers, brothers and sisters. 
So if we look at each other and we're kind of looking and, and, and thinking anything other than brother, this is why the biggest challenge in my life has always been when God says to me, if your enemy wants something, what are you going to do? So what are you going to do for a brother? It's, it just floors you. It's like, oh, if my enemy, I've got to give him my coat, my jacket, my whatever it is, how much more have I got to give my brother? And it just, it shifts, it changes your attitudes. It, it stops being about food and religious days and, and uh, practices and stuff, but begins to become about relationship. If it's relationship, well, he put me in the body, in the family, with my brother, with my sister, and I don't get to choose who that is. My friends I might choose, but my brothers and sisters I don't get to choose. So my attitude is constantly challenged. My brother. And that, you know, it's so good for us to call each other brothers and sisters. You know, it, it is actually a real good, you know, it's not just when you're praying for someone you've forgotten their name. <laughs> but when we actually operate that way. But it also helps us to begin to see uh, the right ties in our operations, because otherwise we will put our natural families sometimes before the church. We, are, we, we, we don't look right, we don't think right, that actually you have more in common with me than your unsafe brother, in the natural, natural brother. You have more blood relationship with me than you do with that person. Because the blood that matters of Christ's is on both of our lives, transformed our nature, made us new creations, set us into heavenly places, given us an eternal destiny together. So you're going to spend more time with me than you will with him. Unless he gets saved. It's reality, isn't it? You're going to spend a couple of years here on the earth with your natural brother, and you're going to spend eternity with me in heaven. So what's your thing or thoughts about me now? <laughs> Get to know me and think about me in the right way. And, vice, and likewise. Doesn't it change? When we have that eternal perspective, actually, we can begin to learn. This is momentary. This person's going to be perfect. They're going to be the most amazing person I've ever known. Because when Christ appears, they'll be like him. Yes. <laughs> yes. I can overlook the now. Because I know what Christ has made them to be. That's, that's cool, isn't it? The fourth one is uh, the second part of verse 14. Verse, uh, sorry, verse 10, sorry. Uh, chapter 14. It says, For we all stand before the judgment seat. In other words... The measure you judge is the measure you'll be judged. So four reasons why we should not be thinking about whether someone's eating or drinking or observing Sabbath days, ignoring them, condemning them for not reading the Bible, judging them for not praying, going on about the fact they're always praying, they're always nuts. But, what is it? It, it, but it, it goes on, Paul goes on further. 
He said, you know, these four reasons, any one of them should be enough. But here's four reasons to completely break down all your defenses, all your criticism, all your uh, opinions. And then he begins to really lay it on thick. Because he says in verse 15, he says about um, making, well, let me just go back a little bit. This judgment seat thing. Judgment is a mindset. So it says, make up your mind. Make up your mind. That's what we've just been reading. Verse 13. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to put no stumbling block in front of another person. It's a mindset thing, judgment, criticism, being able to make those opinions about people is a mindset thing. And it's a, it, it is so, de- so destructive. That's what it says in, in verse 15. It says, do not destroy the weaker brother. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother. The word destroy here uh, in, in the Greek uh, it, it actually has a wide spectrum from to physically break, destroy, to actually to, to break down, which is not quite as violent, if you know what I mean. <laughs> the spectrum here is to, from one end is, is a, the utter destruction and, the other, and this end is to spoil or to mar. To, to, to wreck the looks of. And, and, but the word that actually is the opposite of this in the Greek means to build up. So the word destroy that we use in English, the Greek word, that is a, a, a polyon or something, a poly... A polyme. The opposite of that Greek word is to build up. So in this context, the destroyer is to mar, to, to make it look awful, to, to wreck the looks of, to, to affect it in such a way that it spoils its use. So it's, it's not to destroy the person's salvation. Yeah? But you can so wreck the person's lifestyle, the person's witness... They're saved, but they're, they're not, they, they end up living a controlled lifestyle by other things because you've put so much legalism, so much uh, wrong freedom their way that they haven't yet understood what they were doing. They end up making wrong decisions by faith that they think's faith instead of actually receiving from God his word that helps them then walk out faith. So, for example, many pastors, you know, we, we end up talking about, God said to me that he's going to give me a new car, and I, and I gave away £5,000 or £50, and £5,000 came to me. So the next person goes, oh, the pastor did that, let me give away money and give my car. And then they find that they've got no money to get to work. My faith and my witness mustn't wreck another person's faith. Because they try to operate in my faith, 
when they haven't unlearned and grown in that yet. It's a hard balance because you want to encourage people to walk by faith. But I have learned by my years of walking how to walk in some of it, and I'm still learning. Yeah? But in our witness, we're talking about the things. How did God speak to you about that? What is his word that's shown you? How did you then begin to do that process? And then we draw them from weakness into strength that they can then stand in faith. Hmm? See, this is, in, a, in our faith churches, this is, this is what we've got to really be careful of, isn't it? That we build people up in the word, mm-hmm. not just in our testimony. The word is what is going to sustain them and keep them when we're not around. It's going to stop them from doing the wrong stuff, stop them from being uh, daft with their faith. You know, when Claire and I were, were engaged, one thing, the only thing that concerned Claire was that I, I wasn't very good with money. I gave away too much. People would give me money for, for things, and actually, I was trying to be uh, like her dad and like other people that I'd heard of of faith. I was trying to operate beyond where I really was at. And so when we were getting engaged, it was, it was like one thing. She sat down and went, Alan, you need to learn. <laughs> Someone gives you a gift, you're not allowed to give it away. It's not yours to give away. You don't honour the giver of the gift if you give it away. In fact, you dishonour, you think, you're saying this gift was worthless because you gave it away. Now, that wasn't my heart. My heart was, ooh, I've got seed to sow. But it wasn't seed, it was bread. I was supposed to eat it. Yeah? And you see, this is, this is where we've got to understand what we're doing. But you have to learn to distinguish and the correct handling of the word of God helps you make those distinctions. And being taught by others, asking people the questions. So you had a faith for a new car, or faith for a holiday, or, or you, you had faith for that miracle of healing. How did you begin to operate in that? What were the steps you took that got you into that place of liberty? Or when we're discipling people, that's what we've got to do with people. These are the steps I took. This is where I moved from here to where I got to. I started where you are, but I didn't get there in one day. (coughs) I didn't become a pastor overnight. Thank God for that. You really didn't want to know the old Alan. Or the recently saved Alan, even. Or the five years old Alan as a Christian. That was a person that was not a lot of use to you. The steps that God's moved me from has brought maturity, brought new challenges. And so likewise in our faith, you see, this this is the thing what Paul's saying. It's not about me, it's about the other person. You see, it's not destroying, but building up. If I'm going to build up someone, I'm not going to rip them apart. I'm going to work out where's those weaknesses, where's the things in their life that I need to underpin to bring stability into their lives. Because I can't just put a big rock underneath them that will just cause them to wobble. You have to put that rock and some other stuff in so that the stability comes in. You ever try to put a Christmas tree 
up on one of those stands. And you wind it on one side and it tilts that way. You wind it on this way, it tilts that way. You need someone to hold the thing while you screw it together to, to get the, the three screws in the right place so it stays nice and straight. Yeah? And it, in, our, in our lives, that's what we're doing. We're, we're building in that right strength. We're building in that grace. And, and you see, this is what it talks about in, in, in verse 17 to 21 as we just look at this. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Eat, drink, and be merry. Yeah? That's what, that's what we often say, isn't it? But you see, it's not a merriment. It's, not, it's, not a, it's a joy that comes from the inside that whether you've got food or haven't got food doesn't change your joy. Then you can eat with joy, whether it's a lot or a little, because it's on the inside. The kingdom of God is, is, is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. This is coming out, and anyone who does this pleases Christ. Anyone who operates like this, anyone who serves Christ in this way, is pleasing to God and approved by men. You see, this is what it's saying. The brother, the person that's watching my life, he begins to see, I, I allow him into my life, and I adjust to accommodate him, but I don't leave him where he is. I'm always someone who, he, who draws him into a new place. I'm not shoving him, I'm not condemning him, but I'm always lifting him up. I'm someone he actually begins to like being around. My faith causes him to walk out thinking God can do all things. His, his faith is always encouraged by being around me. That, this whole scripture is not a license or a condemnation, but an encouragement. If love, if righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit is my aim, then I'm going to do everything what it says in verse 19. Make every effort to do what leads to peace. You see, this is the attitude. This is what Christ prayed. Jesus prayed, Father, that they be one, even as you and I are one. This is the outworking of that prayer. Jesus made you and me one. He reconciled us, Jew and Gentile, black and white, English and everything else, even the French. But isn't that the reality? When we get to know our neighbour, we no longer see black and white, African or Caribbean or English and Scottish. We just know a person. Colour stops being something we see. Even religion actually stops being something that you see and you have to kind of, Lord, I need you to help me so that I don't just, <laughs> I want them to see my life. But, you know, the, that's the reality. The more you know someone, the less you see the distinctions. You see, this, this, this is what it means to be in Christ with us. Uh, Paul speaks. He says, make every effort 
to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. What's the aim? Building up. He who sows in peace reaps a harvest of righteousness. You want to be more righteous? Bring peace into other people's lives. What does peace mean? Completeness. Wholeness. Not just an absence of problems, but that peace, that shalom, the totality of everything God's got for them. You know, this, this is what it says in, in, in 1 John 2 verse 9. It says, if anyone hates his brother, he does not walk in the light. This challenge here. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. There's nothing in me to make my brother stumble because I I walk in the light. I haven't got hidden agendas. I'm giving without worry. These scriptures here in Romans 14 and 15... It says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor. In other words, the, 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 the responsibility is not on the person who's weak to improve, but the responsibility is on the mature to help the immature. In whatever area you happen to be more mature than them. The responsibility is always on the husband to be the head to serve. Not to get the wife to obey. It's it's that hard one, isn't it? It's like, man, that's, that's so hard. You see, if anyone does not love, there's no in between ground you hate. Hate's such a strong word, isn't it? I don't really like that person. It kind of sounds better, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not really friends with them. I don't really like them. But if you don't like them, you don't love them, therefore you actually hate them. But we would go, I don't hate it. Oh, no, 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 no. If you do not love, you hate. Hate is the absence of love. You're either positive or you're negative. The switch is on or off. It's, there's no in-between, there's no grey. The light switch, the electricity, on, off. This grace. And see what it says, everything in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among you as you follow Christ. This is verse 5 of chapter 15. This is the the whole point. This is what it means to be the body. This is what it means to be in Christ. That God has given us. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity. This is the work of it all together. This is what Paul's, he's writing to these Romans. He's writing to this bunch of people that he, he knows uh, come from a completely different perspective to him. 
He's writing this unity, this great grace. He wants them to become more than they are. And he writes these words of encouragement. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him, because you're going to need to trust him to bring the mature into maturity, immature into maturity. You're going to have to trust him not to do it yourself. My brother, my sister, you know, there's just the, the, because it's so easy to get into a self-justification. My liberty causing other people offence. You know, this is, this is what Romans, this whole passage, is the whole, the whole thrust of Romans. I've died. I've been crucified with Christ. Buried in baptism, raised to new life. Now living in the new way of the Spirit. No condemnation for those in Christ. So I choose... Because I live in this to allow myself to be under law at times in order to bring others into freedom. I'm not under law. I'm free. But I can allow stuff for the sake of freedom for others. And also because I trust God. I don't have to get the work done. Paul's planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? God did. And so as we're just, you know, as we're just wrapping up Romans, as we're just finishing this final bit, this is what it says, let the God of hope fill you with joy and all peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow. Overflowing with hope. Overflowing with hope for our neighborhood. For the guys that are getting it wrong. The folks coming in off the streets and we're like bonkers lifestyles. And they don't put the word into their lives and they don't. It's like, come on, give them a good slap. No, no, no. If that's our attitude, don't come near them. They're wild animals, yes, until they learn some peace. But this is what his promise is. The Isaiah 43 passage, great will be the peace of the children. Those wild animals will honour me, it says in one of the other passages. The wild animals. See, this, is, is that a concept of our neighbourhoods around us? They're wild animals. Or do we see Christ died for their liberty? Because if it comes, if we can do this for one another, it's what Jesus said, that if we would love one another, that the world would see that we're his disciples. This is how to get people saved. This is how to see people saved. So, Father, we just thank you for your word. The challenge of it, Lord. Even to the very core of our thinking and attitudes, Father, 
We just thank you that you've placed us into Christ. You've put experiences, you've put the word, you've put your spirit, you've put people alongside us to spark us, to encourage us, to stop us being right idiots, to cause us to have to seek after you for new graces, to, to, to love when we think we can't love. Father, we thank you that that's part of the maturing process. You proving that you are more than adequate for every situation whenever we trust you. So, Father, we just ask you to help us to trust you. We, we, we ask you, Father, for, for wisdom, for new discernment. God, we're asking you for faith, to forgive, to go on loving. And we thank you, Father, as we stand on that waterfall, this full provision of every need. Father, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit bringing the word back to our minds, bringing encouragement to our hearts, giving us the right words to speak. Not our words, but your words, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. That as we abide in you, we bear fruit. Fruit that lasts. Lord, we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.